Hear the Word of God as it's found in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, right in the middle of your Bible. You'll notice the title of this psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You have heard this reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon it. O Lord, open our eyes by your spirit. Quicken our hearts that we would have confidence in these words and help us to be not merely hearers, but doers as well. Amen. Let us be seated. I'm glad Clayton is happy to see me when I get here. Uh, And uh, I thank you for all of you who greet me warmly on each visit. I pray for Seth's quick uh, restoration to your pulpit. Um, Two weeks from last night, I'm going to be responding to an invitation I received uh, from um, a, a man who is three seasons a television chef in the in Puerto Rico, but who is now a professor of uh, culinary arts at the Rosen Center. I'm sorry, the Rosen College of Hospitality at University of Central Florida, which is a premier hospitality educational institute. Um, Chef uh, Cesar Rivera uh, is going to serve a five-course meal, each course being from a particular region of Puerto Rico. And uh, there is going to be a representative, uh, a sommelier from Tim's Wine Market, doing the pairings with each individual course. Now, will my wife and I go? 
to this gourmet feast hosted by this professional gourmet chef. Well, you got to eat. <laughs> you got to eat, and um, I was going to start portion control in January, but uh, seems like a good time to postpone that. So yes, yes, we will go. We have been invited to a feast to taste and see some of the most wonderful food we'll probably eat in the whole year, if not the decade. And so, of course, we're going to eat. Now, similarly, this psalm is an invitation to a feast. Uh, In verse 8, the psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. But it began with, O magnify the Lord with me, in verse 3. So, you see, this is not just a profession of how wonderful the Lord is, but an invitation to experience that wonderfulness or goodness as well. And I want us to look at this psalm as the gracious invitation of the king of God's people, the gracious invitation of the king of God's people uh, to experience the Lord through the means which the Lord gives us which is to live by faith in God's wisdom. So to respond to this invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good, we must walk in God's wise ways. Uh, let's now look and see how the psalmist does this. I think I've got uh, uh, five or six C's. Uh, I'll say six, so when I only do five, you'll uh, feel like uh, we're getting done early. But... Uh, Uh, five C's that will show us that accepting the king's invitation to experience God's goodness will mean walking in God's wise ways. I want the uh, first of all to see the call in verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Good for him, but then he says, let the humble hear and be glad, and let us magnify the Lord. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Uh, David, for this is a Davidic psalm, David is inviting people to church, or shall we say in his day, the temple. And he's already told us why we need to come, because the Lord is uh, worthy of praise. He's worthy of boasting in. And so he invites us. So the king of God's people is a king who invites God's people into worship. And this is also true of David's greater son, Jesus Christ. We know that David was provided by God to Old Testament Israel, not just to administer God's kingdom over Israel at that time, but also to point forward to the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. And so we see in Jesus Christ a gracious invitation to worship. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that um, when Christ was exalted after his death and resurrection, that he not only is at the right hand of where he is to be worshipped and glorified, but he is also standing in the congregation leading the praises of God's people. Because Hebrews 2 quotes Psalm 22, In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. That Christ is not only one we worship, but he is the worship leader of God's people. So because of what God has done for him, Jesus doesn't simply receive our worship, but he enables our worship and he invites us to experience the goodness of God. 
So we, when we gather in Christ's name, where he is in our midst by the Spirit, we know that he's not only receiving our worship, but presenting our worship to the Lord, but also as an example to us. You see this through the Psalms and many times, and I think I even mentioned this with Psalm 71 a few weeks ago, that many times the king will say, if you save me, I'm going to go to the temple and pay a vow, and that vow is one of praise. So Jesus Christ does not... Uh, Welsh on his promise of praise, but rather stands in the midst of our assembly, leading the praise of God's people. So when we invite people to join us in worship, we're inviting them to join our worship leader as well as us in praise. He is in our midst, the delivered, saved king. David was delivered from Abimelech, but we have a king, Jesus, who was saved from sin and death, who leads our praise. That's, that's the first C. Now, why is he so uh, excited to invite us into worship? Well, in verses 4 through 7, we see the cause, the cause of this praise. <clears throat> Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, we know from the title of the psalm that we I mentioned earlier, we know what's going on there. It's in reference to um, a story in uh, 1 Samuel uh, 21. David, who uh, was God's chosen king, was uh, had already slain Goliath, and, and um, Saul had overheard the people saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And we know even before David took the throne in Israel, uh, that uh, while Saul was still the putative king, that he was delivering God's people from the Philistines, their enemies. But because Saul also was jealous of him, he even had to flee King Saul, and he finds himself in Gath. Now, Gath happened to be um, where um, somebody named uh, Goliath was from. But by this time, Goliath was no more. And David is, is, is hiding from Saul among some of the greatest enemies of Israel. And uh, somebody, somebody spots him. You know, he was like maybe a celebrity with sunglasses and a, and a hat pulled down and a collar turned up. But somebody spotted him. That's David, David of Israel, the slayer of our people. And so he's brought before uh, Abimelech uh, and, and the king of the Philistines. And, and so uh, as a, a, the character in O Brother Where Art Thou says, he was in a tight spot. He was in a tight spot. So what did he do? Well, you think of the different options, um, you know, maybe a political offer. Hey, look, I know we've had our issues, but I will work with you if you'll work with me and we can get Saul out of there and I can be kind of one of your neighbor states and do maybe you a favor. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's the way ancient political arrangements often worked in the ancient Near East. He could have been slain on the spot. He could have simply said, it's me, I'm... Um, I'm, I'm David, do with me what you will, and uh, that would have been a, a quick end, no doubt. But David employs a stratagem. He acts insane. He begins to sal- salivate, and the saliva is running all over his beard, and he's acting crazy. And of course, in that day and age, and it's not necessarily always different nowadays, unfortunately, but in that day and age, people may have thought, there's some bad mojo here, there's 
there's something spiritual going on. We, we, you don't want a, a crazy man, especially one who has been dangerous. You don't want them among you. And they, and they, they released him and sent him away. And uh, that's, what's hap- that's what's happened here when he says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. He's giving God credit for the stratagem. He's giving God credit for delivering him. And, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, in, in Britain they sing, God save the queen. Because as the queen goes, so the nation. As the leader of the people goes, so the, uh, the nation goes. Well, Israel's king was saved. So they're, they're being asked to come together and sing about how God saved their king. Through God's intervention, God's miraculous intervention. And what's really, uh, I think, helpful here is to, to note, you know, we love testimonies. I, I heard a testimony of a student on Saturday night at my dinner table on uh, how uh, something very recent in a class even that weekend had just changed his life. And uh, I didn't have anything to do with it, so... Um, it was just a blessing to hear about it. And it's important that we share uh, what wonderful things God has done for us. But you know a testimony doesn't always transfer, right? Just because God does one thing for one person doesn't mean necessarily that he'll do one for other. But there's one exception to that rule. And that is the testimony of Jesus Christ. As, as our king, because God saved our king, God will save us. Because God delivered Jesus Christ from sin and death, his testimony is a testimony that's also a promise. That by faith in him, we are delivered from sin and death. By faith in him, we are now under the protection of the sovereign king of the universe. And his testimony is our hope. If God had not saved Jesus, we would have no hope. But he has, and we have that hope. And so we know the cause for Old Testament Israel was David's salvation, but for us, it's the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. His salvation, being delivered from sin and death, is our hope. So that leads us then to the third C, which is commendation. So what does David here say by way of advice on how to experience the same benefits. Well, the commendation is in verses 8 through 14, and it's specifically a commendation of wisdom, of divine wisdom. Let me, let me just point us to that. When uh, in uh, verse 8, he says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, that word blessed is almost... Um, a signal that we're talking about biblical wisdom. Uh, we know that Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Blessed is the one who meditates on the Lord's law day and night. In other words, blessed is the one who follows God's counsels. And this word blessed occurs consistently throughout the book of Proverbs. Even when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes said, blessed is this one, blessed is that one, and so forth, it's bringing in the idea of wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowing 
what God's will is, his revealed will, but also knowing how to live out his will in the different situations and circumstances of life. There's a difference between information, right? Uh, Just because you get something on the internet doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) And then there's a difference between information and knowledge. Knowledge is, you know, things that are true. But the right use, the moral use, the right use of knowledge is wisdom. And uh, there's something that's particular of the Proverbs that is relevant here. The wise man, the righteous man in the book of Proverbs, this is uh, my former colleague Bruce Walke's uh, uh, great contribution to this. The wise man or the righteous man is the one who enriches others at his own expense. And the wicked man, who is the fool, he enriches himself at the cost of others. The wise man brings blessing to his community, not just to himself, but the the wicked man, he creates disharmony and conflict. And and, and when you think of what the Proverbs in particular teaches in that way, there is no greater, no wiser man ever known than the one who is rich beyond measure. But what? He became poor so that we could become rich in God, and that is Jesus Christ. Well, that's just that phrase, blessed is the man, but the fear of the Lord is also a constant theme of wisdom. We see that in verse 9. Wisdom teaching often refers to nature. You know, the proverb that says, uh, you know, the fool is the one who uh, 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 picks up a dog by the ears. (laughs) Uh, Well, verse 10 has this, that young lions suffer want and hunger, but good... But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Um, Even the apex predators of this world at times are hungry. But the one who depends upon the Lord's wisdom has, has the riches of God, the goodness of God. They don't lack anything. And so verses 11 and 12 sound like Proverbs. Oh, come children, listen to me. It's the sage teaching the children to be wise. And then verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs has all this to say about speech. What I'm saying is this, that if you want to taste the goodness of the Lord, this psalm says, look for it by living according to God's wisdom. If you want to taste God's goodness, walk in God's ways. Um, Often if you talk about experiencing God, people have their own versions of that. You know, we need to get to the mountaintop. We need to get away from the affairs of daily life. We need to, we need to seek the hidden will of God for, for, so we can find out what his secret assignment for us is in life. But it's not that complicated. In fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the hidden things belong to the Lord. But these things he has given you, he has revealed to you, you might walk in them. He's talking about God's, God's revealed will. Um, and so there, there, there are two applications, I think, that are helpful to us. One is, instead of looking for the next secret formula, the next best self-help book, the, the, the some, some specific and obscure version of spirituality, say, how can I experience God? It's right here in front of us. Walk in God's ways. 
Do what God has commanded. Live wisely. Live a generous life. Because what do we have that has not been given to us, the gospel says. And so generosity is wisdom. Walking by faith and not by sight. Doing what God has commanded and trusting God with the outcomes. Writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 says, Faith is believing that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Believing that a life of faith will be worth it in the end. Even though in the immediate situation it may look like we need to look out for number one, uh, look out for ourselves, short-term gain, you know, that's certainly we see that a lot, that when people and employers and governments seek their own best interest above everyone else's, it's, it's has disastrous consequences, and that's, that's um, certainly what the Proverbs teaches. But walking by faith is walking according to God's wisdom. But the second application, I think, is this. And it goes back to the uh, call, tasting God's goodness. You know, um, believing that God is good. Psalm 119 says, God is good and does good. And, you know, that's sometimes the hardest struggle. We have experiences in life where we're not sure God is on our side. And it takes faith to believe that God is good to us. Because, again, the short-term benefits of looking out for ourselves um, uh, are temptations to not look to the good of others and not to trust the Lord. And so sometimes, you know, I joke about this often. I probably have here. Sometimes the key to success is lowering expectations. <laughs> but but that th- that that's not true in 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 trusting God. That God is good. And sometimes over time our appetites dim. And very bad things can happen to us in life. And we, we're we not sure whether God is good or not. Or we're not sure whether he will be good to us. And so uh, we have this uh, uh, long COVID of faith, which is a loss of taste buds. You know, life can do that, right? Life can cause us to not expect goodness that... Um, I have a family member who often says life is a veil of tears. And there are plenty of tears. And like back, what does verse 19 say? Many of the afflictions of the righteous. Now that's, nobody puts that in their evangelistic tracks, but that's what it says. But what David is saying here, what is true ultimately in Christ is though many of the afflictions, the, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The goodness of God is found not just Not in spite of those things, but through those things. That as Peter says, you know, when our faith tested as with a fire is proven, that's a persevering faith. And so we have the commendation of wisdom to walk in God's ways. And we know, you know, Jesus was considered a fool by the powers by the religious authorities and by the civil authorities. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. The gospel is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews, but the gospel is the 
power of God to salvation to those who believe. Will you follow, and without meaning to be too provocative here, we, we follow what the world would see as an idiot king. But an idiot king in the sense that the world, the whole, the world thinks he's a fool, but those who trust in him will never be disappointed. Because he is the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And so it's a call to trust in the Lord, to follow him, experience his goodness. That's uh, the third C. The fourth C is confidence. And we find in verses 15 through 18, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. This is the king speaking. His ears toward those, toward, his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Who is on the Lord's side? Uh, what, what Paul says in Romans 8, what, what can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ? Famine, peril, persecution, hardship, sword? No, none of these things, Paul says. That, that nothing shall separate us from the love of of God, which is in Christ. And David, David had confidence because God had delivered him. And, and of course, we have even greater confidence because we've seen how God delivered Christ from sin and death. And those who are in him by faith, those who trust in him, will never be disappointed. Uh, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. As Matthew Henry said, wherever we find a praying heart, we will find a hearing God. That God doesn't sleep or slumber. You never get voicemail when you call God. You, you, you never have to leave a message. But rather, he is the one who never sleeps or slumbers. In fact, our high priest, King Jesus, lives to make intercession for us. If you, if you think of it this way, the, the triune God waits, waits always for, to hear us when we pray. So turn to him in a time of trouble. Seek him while he may be found, the psalmist says elsewhere. He is confident, the psalmist is, David. And the problem isn't with the menu. The problem is with our appetites. Uh, Psalm 81 described Israel as uh, in the wilderness as uh, turning after other gods. And, and the psalmist said, back in the wilderness, in the wilderness days, God, God said, open wide your mouths and I will fill it. That, um, that the only limitations on God's working in our lives is our asking. I don't know if you've ever been to a churrascaria. It's a Brazilian barbecue. I was at my first at uh, on Copacabana Beach in uh, Rio de Janeiro, and it's all meat all the time. And you have a little, it looks like a dreidel. It's green, orange, or yellow, and red. And uh, if you want that meat to keep coming, you keep it on green. And when you want them to slow down, you do the yellow. And when you cry uncle, it's the red. <laughs> but, you know, that's God's menu. Uh, it's there for the asking. And this doesn't mean uh, the, the prosperity theology that is so rampant is true that we simply, whatever we want, we have to ask believing and God will give it. He's still God and we're still his children. 
but it's it's the 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 the, the limitation is often our mouths are too narrow to um, both ask and receive. So the psalmist has this confidence, and so the psalm ends with con- with a call or an invitation to commitment. Verses nineteen through twenty-two. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones; not one of them is broken. Now, this is not to say that David never experienced a broken bone. This is a poetic expression here, obviously, and he's just said many of the afflictions of the righteous. But we do know in John's gospel, this was said of Jesus, that while he hung on the cross, when they spared the breaking of his legs to speed the crucifixion, uh, they they spared him, and, and John, the writer of John's gospel, Remember that Psalm 34 said this. And therefore, as he remembered it, he realized it was speaking of Christ. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who ate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None who take refuge in him will be condemned. So uh, the psalm ends with calling us to lean in to the invitation. To lean in to the invitation to God's righteousness, or to God's God's goodness, and um, and uh, when we do, we're leaning into an invitation being given to us by our saved King, and we can know of God's goodness, and we can experience God experience God's goodness by walking in the ways of our wise King. Therefore, uh, if we heed the call that's given to us here. We will see that the salvation of our king is an invitation to walk in the king's ways. And that is how we will experience the Lord's goodness. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience. I lived it, and now I see it with my children. You know, parents have certain dishes they prepare that the children aren't interested in uh, until later. And it's typically those foods which are peculiar to the family, that they become not just sources of nourishment and goodness, but they become, if you will, traditions. I, 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 I spared you talking about this to, because I, I didn't want you to be hungry the whole time here. Um, I have a former student. He's a pastor up in Tennessee. He was from South Georgia, and he would always talk about his grandmother's cooking. And I learned, I, I was supposed to ask him, how good is it? And, and Andy would always say, I'll tell you how good it is. If, sh- if you put a plate of that food on top of your head, your tongue would flap out your eyeballs trying to get to it. <laughs> That's how good it was. And we've been challenged here by this psalm today to think of the goodness of God, the good, the utter and absolute faithful, continual, infinite goodness of God as the menu held out before us. But what I've, what I've seen with my own children, they, when they were little, they had very little interest in milk gravy and biscuits and fried mush. And now if they don't come home for Christmas and New Year's, when it's always on the menu, uh, they feel a great lack. In fact, one of my favorite things to do is walk over to Johnny's Diner around the corner on Friday mornings. My son works a four-day week for a Lockheed Corporation. We, we meet at Johnny's Diner on Friday mornings and have some biscuits and gravy together. It's uh, one of the, my favorite times of the week when we do that.
You know, God has put a banquet before us. And he has said, come and eat. He does it in the Lord's Supper each time we take it. Come, eat, taste the goodness. The goodness of God is demonstrated in how he saved his king, his son, and given us a king over us. Whether you are wavering on the threshold of committing your life to Christ or whether your appetite has just grown a little distracted by uh, uh, unhelpful calories. You know, this is the menu of God's people. It's not just what he gives us, but God himself, because the psalmist says, taste the Lord. Will you taste the Lord by trusting in him? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, um, thank you for saving Jesus from death so that we would have the confidence that no one who trusts in you would ever be put to shame. We acknowledge, Lord, that many are the afflictions of the righteous. It does seem often like faith is the harder road, the less beneficial road. We need to know, Lord, that trusting you is the way of life. Thank you for proving that in the vindication of your son. Thank you for exhibiting that all the time in the saints around us who walk faithfully in your ways and who share in the testimony of Jesus. Help us to listen to them, our grandparents, our parents, our friends, who lift us up and encourage us by their example. We're grateful for them. And move upon our hearts, Lord, to make us desire what is good, so that whether the things of earth will become strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.